Good morning, 11 o'clock. We loved our 930 service. Don't blow it, okay? Y'all do good. I want to begin with a photo and a quick 38-second video. Here's the photo. One year ago today, huh? I brought this up before the Facebook reminder came uh, yesterday morning. I brought this up to somebody at our, or to our small group and someone said, how do you remember those things? And I'm like, how can you not remember these things? I mean, come on, we live in Mississippi and this is what we woke up to. And there's a video, 38 seconds of me driving to Fondren Church on that day. Isn't Fondren beautiful, even when it doesn't snow? And I was driving, this is a street closed, the bridge is out. It's been out for seven months now, so you can't drive that street. But uh, isn't it beautiful? I was able to drive it then. Walking in a winter wonderland. That was one year ago this weekend, and we got a big kick out of it. I'm looking at Kristen and Nick Crawford, them and their kids. They got up on the, the roof, not the, not this roof, but the flat roof, and we're taking pictures, and we were frolicking in the snow. And true story, this week I showed that video to, on my phone to three people, and all three people just made a comment on the crack on my windshield. Did anybody notice that? Some of you, like, you noticed that. Can I just say, God forgive you for noticing that. Like, and, I, and you're the reason why we're doing, uh, those three people are the reason why we're doing this sermon series on wonder, right? Because we look out and sometimes we notice the crack on the windshield more than we do the blanket of Christmas snow. And so we're in this series called Christmas Wonder and we're in John chapter one. Today would be a great day if you have a Bible to open it to turn to John's gospel in chapter one. We're going to look at several passages in this great uh, story But in John's gospel, we're looking at the wonder of Christmas. Last week, the wonder of the word. This morning, the wonder of light. And then next week, as children help lead us in Christmas singing, we'll look at the wonder of hope. And then uh, Christmas Eve, Eve, December 23rd, we'll look at the wonder of God coming near. And we will have a final service on December 30th, a service where they'll be singing a sermon, but also some special reflection on 2018. So join us then. In John's gospel... Um, very powerful. We're going to we'll open it in just a minute and, and give it a look. But here's, uh, here's what I want to talk to us about today. I want to talk to us about uh, how wonder does get choked out. We don't experience the wonder of the word written or alive and active in us. We don't experience the wonder of light because of the darkness. And I would say because of the volume. You, have you noticed this about the holidays? The holidays exaggerates everything. Some of you get that, and for some of you, it's personal and painful, but the ex- holidays exaggerate everything. The highs, uh, you know, everything's great when you hear the songs, but also it exaggerates um, the bad stuff as well because there's a sense of ought and duty and obligation that we ought to be doing all this. We should be feeling this way. It all should be wonderful, and then it's not. And I think everybody in the room, to some extent, experiences these things. We all have problems that we can't solve, people we can't control, can I get an amen, and expectations that we can't meet. And it's particularly painful, number two, if you live with them, right? Uh, It just got warm in the room. Problems we can't solve, people we can't control, and expectations we can't meet. And these things, the confluency of these things, often uh, the volume is so high that it crowds out the wonder of the season. And so the big idea that I submit to you today is the following. Maybe, just maybe, maybe it's not what's happening around us 
but what happened that makes Christmas Christmas. And that's the story. Before we read the verses today, I want to tell you again about this old man named John. Now, listen, I think one of the gifts that God gives people all throughout the centuries, all throughout different cultures and languages, times and places, old people. Old people, old women and old men who've lived. And if we don't get too cranky and ornery and bitter, uh, we got something that we've learned. Uh, Like some of you, I watched the memorial service of President 41 this week. And when I watched his son speak, I watched it four times and I teared up four times. All four. And I, I remember thinking, as the young people would say, hashtag goals. Like that's what you, that's like, that's a goal. Like when, when your day, when that's your day, you want your son, your kids to say what he said about his dad. And I thought that right there. But old people have something to say because they've lived. And I watched some James Baker and Alan Simpson and some of these guys not getting political with you, but just some old guys who'd lived a long time and Bob Dole, who probably should have died in war combat when he's 21 and stand up and honor a president that probably should have died when he was 20 to pay tribute, but oh, if we would listen to some of the old people, what they've learned in their experiences, and that's what we have an opportunity to do when we read John. He was an old guy. I'll say three simple things about him. Now, John is in stark contrast in many ways with the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the, the intelligentsia community and the academic world, this has been posed as a problem for the Christian, pro, the pro, a problem for the one who believes the Bible to be true and inerrant and inspired. It is not a problem. It's a different vantage point. It's a different angle. The three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and Luke, are called synoptic gospels, and John is different. He writes later. He writes as an old guy, and he doesn't give us much explanation as he does the reason why and John is an old guy he experienced Jesus closely but hear me today but he knew darkness he knew darkness he was alive when Nero sent some generals whose names are too hard to pronounce into the regions of Galilee and they rolled through Galilee and they slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Jewish men and women and children. He was alive during that when they rolled through and they committed these crimes of atrocity. He was alive when they went through these cities and towns and villages and killed people and took them captive. He was alive when the Roman army laid siege on this great, holy, very special city of Jerusalem. And the Roman army, uh, they surrounded it and they dug a ditch and they built a wall and a plague broke out with the Jewish people inside the city and people starved to death. And John was John was a witness to that. And we don't know officially, accurately, if he was there in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed, but we know that he knew about it. And we know that this old guy, John, had seen and experienced darkness. He saw his best friend, Peter, be executed. He knew of his good friend, Paul, being executed as well. The death of Jesus, the destruction of the temple, the loss of close personal friends. Hear me today, John knew darkness. And remarkably, John would write, and in the 20th chapter, in the 31st verse, the verse I read when I was on my knees inviting Christ to be my Savior and Lord as a teenager, he wrote this, to be clear. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote that. And some of you know this, if anyone 
could tell us about Christmas, it would be John. Because at the cross, John, Jesus rather, looked at John. And he said, my mother, take care of her like she'll be your mother. And he looked at his mother, Mary, and he said, you view John as your very own. And history tells us that John took care of Mary. And as I've studied it, I've, I've fallen in line with the historians that believe that Mary died in the city of Ephesus there with John, and he took care of her. So think with me for a second. John, you know he did. You know he sat at her side as he cared for her, and you know John could ask questions to Mother Mary like this. Hey, what did it feel like when an angel appeared? What was it like when you knew you were going to have a baby boy? What was it like? John, yet John, does not begin his narrative. He doesn't begin it with shepherds or angels or a manger or magi or Egypt or awful Herod. He begins his gospel with what? In the beginning. Remember that last week, in the beginning. The same words that were used in Genesis when the earth was formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit hovered over the waters. When he created light and separated the light from the darkness. And here in John 1, verse 4 and 5, that's where we'll be today. John 1, 4 to 5. says this right here. In him, not getting it here. It's one of those touch screens, right? I can touch it and it'll change. Let's go with this one then. Here we go. In him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's leave it up on all three screens. In him was life. Think about it. Let's don't bypass it. Don't run past it. In him was life. What are you talking about? Because everyone that heard him had life. They had physical life. So you kind of know instinctively he's talking about something else. He's talking about another kind of life. Doesn't it make you think, I want that life. I don't want to miss out on life. If there's a real life, if there's another life, in him was life, not just physical life. Later, this is John who would record for us what uh, scholars call the high priestly intercessory prayer in John chapter 17, a lengthy prayer. I think it's Christ's longest prayer recorded for us. And he prays and he prays for the disciples. Anybody remember this? He prays that they would be one. He prayed that they would be one because Jesus knows, as anyone knows who looks at the world, that unity is better than division, that love is greater than hate, that when we see what brings us together and we unite in our commonness, that that's better than blame shifting and fault finding and finger pointing and hurling out hateful things. It's better that way. And Jesus prays that his disciples would be one. And he says he prays for them that they'd be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. And then he goes on to pray that the world may believe that God the Father sent him by our unity and by our love. And he says, I don't pray for just them, the the disciples over there that were probably about to fall asleep. He says, I pray for those who would believe on me through their word. That's us. That's us. That he's a life giver and that we would find life in him was life. And it just gets better as we get deeper into this as we go on. And the life was what? Say it out loud. And the life was the light of men. Now, it's a sensitive culture in which we live in. Let me say that the translation here is better mankind, humankind. Everybody 
the whole world. And you don't have to confuse John in this. John led the way, this old guy, talking about how expansive and broad is the love of God. Jesus said in John 3, 16, 17, everybody knows John 3, 16, but John 3, 17, he says, I came into the world not to condemn the world, not to condemn the world, but to give life, to give life because I love the world. And the life was the light of men. John said in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He would later say the, world became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But in this in the beginning, it makes me hearken back to Genesis 1-4, and we see that when God separated, the first element of creation is light. Now, the older I get, the more I love light. I, like, I don't like the old, um, you know, fluorescent lights, the, like the yellow lights. I like the bright LED lights. Like I get cranky and ornery around the house if we don't leave the right lights on or the light's not working on the back deck. Like I, I love lights, right? Do you love some light? But you know when I don't like the light? I don't like the light when I go to the dentist or the dermatologist. But otherwise, light's a good thing. And this life was the light, the light. And in Genesis 1-4, we see That light has to be separated from darkness. And when light is separated from darkness, it's always the work of the creator. And it says, in him was life. And this life was the light of man, men, mankind, everybody, the whole world. And this light shines in the darkness. And here's what's most beautiful to me. It's this last line. And the darkness, we doubt this, don't we? Because we live in this world. John would say later in John 16, 33, Tim Tebow had this painted on his face. Being an overcomer. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But I have overcome the world. And you can too. And John makes this promise in the first chapter. And the darkness has not overcome it. John experienced the Savior, but John knew darkness. And John is saying that though it seems like it is, though it seems like it will, the darkness will not overcome this light. And let me tell you, John would say, my story, man, the darkness will not overcome it. The darkness will try to. It will try to snuff out the light, but it won't. Let me tell you, Caesar couldn't do it. Tiberius couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. The destruction of the temple couldn't do it. The death of Jesus could not do it. And today, it is part of the Christmas story because it's part of the gospel. It's the life that he gives to all who believe and receive it. He says to us today, and wants some weary soul to know it today, that no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what you face, no matter how extreme the fear, no matter how dark the depression, the darkness will not overcome the light. And so this morning, as we kind of hit second base, heading toward third, I want to share with you two truths. I want to give you some good news and some bad news. Now, you ever play that game, I got good news and bad news, what do you want to hear first? Anybody ever do that to you? We kind of grow out of that, I guess, when we become adults, some of us. Uh, What do you usually choose first? Bad news? Okay, why is that? Get the good news last. Okay. All right, I'm going to give you the good news first. The good news is that light reveals what God is like. And can I just say, that is all good. Now here's what John did. John had the gumption to give us the essence of God in a word. 
And if you had to do that, what would you do? God in a word, not a name of God. You can't choose a, a Hebrew name or one of the over 400 names in the scriptures of God, but you have to say God is, and it's just one word. What would you say? Here's what John said. God is love. And if you love, you're of God, and if you don't. In fact, if you see someone in need, and you say that you love God and you don't move to the need, how can God's love dwell in you? God is love. Now, can I just say that's what a leader does? It's what an old guy does, all right? It's what, you know, guys get old, and when guys and men and women get on their deathbed, they don't talk about trivial things, really. They talk about what really matters. And John's had the gumption, and I would say the clarity and the inspiration to say that God is love. Like, don't miss that. Don't miss that. We have, over these last several months, some of you have heard about it. We made a video. I stood in the balcony and made a video. But we said that the heartbeat of our church is from Galatians 5.16. That the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. We want people to find faith. We want you to grow in your faith. And we want you to learn to express that in love. And that's what Fondren Church, we want that to be about. Now, we'll have sermons and we'll sing songs and we'll play dodgeball. And we'll maybe sometimes have dinner on the ground. And we'll have Dine Against Darkness. And we're having uh, 34 people over at our house. And I tell you, Tuesday night, we're having staff and spouses and our elder board and their spouses, those who are married. They're all coming to our house on Tuesday night. Uh, I think Susan just found out to have a Christmas party. I'm kidding. She knows. She's taking the day off so she can prepare. But uh, we're having people. We do a lot of things. You do a lot of things. I witness a lot of you show up uh, last Saturday with trucks because Jesus would want you driving a truck and you delivered a Ford F-150 and you delivered trees to families in the neighborhood. And I've already heard some stories of riding around with people that you normally wouldn't ride around with and sharing life and delivering. And we do a lot of things, a myriad of activities, most of which are communicated on our web page or via social media okay that's all good John would say there's a whole lot I can tell you about God in fact John was the one who recorded the only one of the gospel writers who recorded the seven I am statements I am the bread of life I am the way the truth and life I am the resurrection life I am the good shepherd on and on he talked about I am I am he said a lot about God but he reduced it to this reduce is not the right word but I can't think of a better one he said this God is love And that is good news and good news only. So people, Christian people, start breathing heavy and getting defensive and pointing fingers and doing a lot of weird, stupid things. And I would just say to you, relax. Take a breath. God is love. Like, that's really good news. I'm off my manuscript now, but I'm just kind of talking. So good news. Shake your head, I'll move on. If I see a lot of people shaking their head, like, good news. God is Light, light reveals what God is like. Bad news, ready for it? Some of you wanted it first, you're getting it last. Good news reveals what God is like. Bad news reveals what we are like. And so let's go to Jesus before I share my word with you. John 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We'll talk about that in a moment. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, Jesus is saying that we profess the light, but we prefer the darkness. Can I say it again? Jesus is saying this about us, about me and you. I'm on a stage, I'm under the lights, but it's true of me. We profess the light, but we prefer the darkness. 
the darkness. Now, the beginning, I don't know if we can go back to John 3, the first part of that verse, it's verse 19. But it says, and this is the judgment. Now, a lot of you, look, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at you young people, you just hate that word. Like you want to you take that out of the Bible like Thomas Jefferson. You want to take that word out of the vernacular. But it's a part of it. Because there's truth in the universe and there's a reality and we all need to live in that reality. When you go to the dentist and you go to the dermatologist or any doctor and they look at you with that light, it is a light of judgment, right? Now there's a, somebody that advertises a gym where it's a judgment-free zone. Now, you know that's a lie. You, you know you're there judging people's bodies and their yoga pants and spandex and you know, headband from the 70s or whatever they're wearing. I mean, you're, you know you're judging or being judged, but judgment is a reality when you sit in that chair and a light that you don't want shines on you. There's judgment, but it leads a professional to bring help and healing, and it's necessary. And Jesus would later say, I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus would later say in John 3, 24, some of you have your Bibles open, you're going to check me on this, but Jesus says, I don't want you to die in your sins. Like, here's the worst thing that can happen to you or me or anyone, is that we would die in our sins. Like, spoken to you in love, from the heart of God who did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And he says, I love you. And that's why I came. And by the way, this light, that's the light for all men. He, would, he says in John 1, 4, all mankind. This is John who wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote a few other books. Do you know him? Can anybody, can anybody name him? He wrote the Gospel of John. And real creative person here, whoever canonized the scripture, right? First John, second John, third John. And Revelation. You ever studied Revelation? Somebody's, you know, here's a good idea. Tell someone to come to your small group. Tell them you're studying Revelation and you sell Amway. That'd be a good idea there. But here, Revelation, John writes this. And he writes, he knows, he's very aware of, of one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But he says that the gospel, as he has this vision, he's exiled on the island of Patmos. And he has a vision, a vision of heaven, a new Jerusalem. And he says there's every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And God bless and help Fondren Church to grow in our diversity. Have you been involved in a situation of worship experience and you're sitting by someone with different color skin or seeing a different language? It most recently happened in the Dominican Republic for me, but it's happened all around the world in virtually every continent and many, many nations in my 52 years of existence. But to sing a song of praise in various languages with other people is a taste of heaven. It's not when your football team wins. That's going to burn and go to hell. But it's when we, when we hear and feel the tongue and tribe of every nation, that is a slice of heaven. And that's the light, the light of men. So the good news is light reveals what God is like. The bad news is it reveals what we are like. And here's what I want to say to you when you're uncomfortable talking about judgment and sin. God is not against sin because he's anti-pleasure. If you're a young teenager, college kid, going through exams, God bless you. You, you. you need to hear this especially, but everybody does. Don't check out if you're old. God is not against sin because he's anti-pleasure. Who created pleasure? The psalmist declares in Psalm 16, 11, one of my favorite verses of all time, in your, in your presence there is joy. At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. God created 
pleasure. God doesn't hate sin because he's anti-pleasure. God hates sin because it promises so much and offers so little. I sat with a friend this week, prayed over him, talked with him. A friend battling addiction, man, he's in the vice grip of it. And I was thinking later that what we call addiction, God calls idolatry. We put other things in front of him. And I was reading when I left my friend, I was digging deeper into addiction. And I, I read from a writer, I can't name him, Frank, somebody, you could Google this and it would render the who, but he says this. This is brilliant. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. Read John 4. Read a woman at a well. If you want to know the heart about judgment and sin and righteousness and love and eternity, read about Jesus' interaction with this woman. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. Alcohol works until it doesn't. So it almost works. Promiscuity works until it doesn't, so it almost works. Approval addiction and likes and tweets and retweets and all that on social media, the approval of other people and popularity, it works until it doesn't work. It almost works. Shopping, retail therapy, it works until it doesn't work. It almost works. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. There's a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. He wrote a parable of a peasant, and it sheds light on us, me, and you, all of us. And it sheds light on what sin does to us and how sin blinds us, and it blinds us to our self-awareness. Have you been around somebody that's just not self-aware? It's, kind of, it's, pain, it's uncomfortable, right, if you've been around someone who's very unaware of themselves. It could be you. I know it's been me at times. But in this um, Danish philosopher, in Kierkegaard's uh, parable of the peasant, he tells a story of a peasant who received enough money to buy, um, remember he's a peasant, to buy shoes and stockings. And there was enough money left over for him to get drunk. And he was crossing a road one night and he passed out drunk in the road. And in this parable, this story that Kierkegaard tells, a carriage with people came by and the carriage driver looks down at the peasant drunk in the road and says, you'll need to move your legs, I'm going to run over them. And the peasant wakes up and looks down and because of the new shoes and stockings doesn't recognize his legs and he says, those aren't my legs. And you know, that's how you can live. And that's what sin can do to you. And I'll tell you, it's what it's done to me. Now, we don't probably say those words. I bet you've never said those words, those aren't my legs, unless you were at a fraternity party in a bad situation years ago. But here's what you have said. In fact, it happens in the news all the time from someone who's caught in deceit or violence or some sort of wickedness. They'll say in defense, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. Well, let me tell you. It is who you are. Because Jesus said it about you and me. Is that what's bound up in us is we profess the light, but we prefer the darkness.
In July of 1994, some business people may remember this story or at least bits of it, but in 1994, July of that year, um, Intel was made aware of a flaw in their Pentium processing chip. I practiced that line so I wouldn't cuss in church. And they noticed this flaw. It was brought to their attention. And they said, when the news broke, they said, uh, it's a minor flaw. And by the way, the flaw had to do with something, uh, it would give wrong answers on long division problems. And so they said, their first response to the story breaking was, well, it's a minor flaw and it really won't affect many customers very often. And then they said, they, they acknowledged it as a small problem and sought to deflect. And then they committed themselves to not doing anything about it, to hunkering down deeper. And it wasn't until a little company called IBM made them aware, made America aware, aware that they would sell no more computers with this flawed Intel Pentium processing chip. And that was then, you could imagine, that they broke down and came clean and made the exchange with any consumer um, that wasn't pleased. They would make the exchange with the chip. And what I say to you today is that company had a black eye. Their reputation was almost ruined. But it was less about the flaw in the chip and so much more about the cover-up. And so when it comes to light and darkness, let's once again go to Jesus, this from Luke. We've been capitalizing on John, but the doctor Luke would say this. Luke 12, 2 and 3, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear and the inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. And just watch the news. There's the investigation. There's the scathing glare. There's the closer scrutiny. There's the Mueller probe. There's the Russian, you know, the collusion. There's this and that. What was said? What was said? What was done? Let's investigate. Let's find out. There's once again another football player, good looking, chiseled, cut, athletic guy, lots of money, but he's caught on camera punching and hitting a girl and pushing someone into him like the last guy was who drug her by the hair. And you have to wonder, how do we want to live in the darkness or in the light? Do we want to live our lives? Do you want to live your lives walking around wondering where a camera is? Or is there a better life? Is there a better way? And so in love, I say, and I've said it before recently because I've learned this, secrets come out. And it hurts. It hurts. A pastor friend that I know and love was recently, not recently, several years ago, caught um, doing some bad stuff. And it was made known, and he was um, had taken things, and uh, people thought he was creative. He was stealing other people's work, and he was humiliated. He uh, was disciplined by his leadership, and he made a public apology. And what I noticed about my friend, a man that I know, is that strangely, shame turned to relief. And all the years of hiding and faking and deceiving had weighed him down into depression. That's why I think every family, every friendship, we need room, space, margin in our lives. Say, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Hey, I'm going to put down my phone. 
You put down your phone, you can tell me anything. We all need a relationship like that. Y'all know I do, but everybody does. And what I found in my friend is that shame being replaced by relief, it is better. It is better to be loved for who you are than be admired for who you're not. And I don't know who needs to hear that today. I know I do. I know that I do. First John chapter 1, 5-10 says this. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all except on the middle screen. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, that's, uh, yeah, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 10. Oh, that was it. Yeah. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You would say, man, I would never do that. But John is saying, yes, we do. We do. I don't know if you have an open Bible, if you want to be a if you want to flip to John 12, 36, I think I'm right when I quote this. Jot it down if you're a note taker. Make a file. John 12, 36 says, believe the truth. I'm sorry, believe the light while you have the light so that you become children of light. And what I would say to you is, it's not always going to be light if you don't believe. At some point, you have to accept him. At some point, you have to put a stake in the ground. At some point, you have to say, I will follow and I want to practice. I want to be an apprentice of Jesus and follow in his ways. Yes, you'll have doubt. Yes, you'll vacillate. Yes, you'll be double-minded at times like the wave of the sea tossed and driven. But to believe, John 12, 36, believe the light while we have the light and the promise you will become children of light. In Ephesians, it's put this way, Ephesians chapter 5, for You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. That's one verse. That's a good verse. And find out what pleases the Lord. That's a whole sermon waiting to be preached. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. When I was a, a little boy, we're gonna have to, you have to transport your mind quickly from a cold summer, from a cold winter morning to a hot summer night. But if you grew up in Mississippi, uh, like I did, in North Mississippi, you remember fireflies. Are those still around like they used to be? We, nobody goes outside anymore, right? Netflix and stuff. But we used to play outside, okay? Kids, if you're young, that's, you can actually do that. But we played outside, and it was a lot of fun. It was very unstructured. Uh, parents kind of trusted the system, and most of us got along, and we survived. Look at me. I'm here to, to tell about it. And uh, one night in particular at 104 Hawassi Drive in my hometown, we had a firefly catching party. 
And some of you ought to get nervous, just so you know, we had jars, but with the, the top had ventilation holes on them, so no fireflies were harmed during this sermon illustration. But we went out, our kids, our neighborhood kids, we went out, we invited friends over. Y'all come in, homemade ice cream, hot dogs, homemade ice cream, and we're going to catch fireflies, and whoever catches the most fireflies will have the brightest jar, the brightest jar wins. And looking back on a cold December day to a hot summer night in my childhood, I think there are a few spiritual truths that I leave with us this morning. The first is this, to be children of light. You don't have to be the biggest light. You don't have to be the brightest light. You just need to be the closest light. And so we fellowship with one another. Do you have that closeness with other lights? Because it gets dim if you don't have other lights. You have people that just bring Jesus into your world. They bring light into your world. And deeper than that, what we said a bit, a bit earlier, if you got darkness and you want to get it out of the closet and talk about that, you know, that jumbled closet or drawer or garage or basement you have, metaphorically speaking, you want to bring that out? Does that friend bring light into that darkness and remind you that if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse, to purify, that's who he is. But to walk with others in light. And I would say this, here's what I mean by this. You don't have to be the biggest light, you don't have to be the brightest light, you just have to be the closest light. The closest light to someone who's struggling and hurting. God is love. Would you stand with me? I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. And I want you, if you would, um, to bow to, like you've hopefully been doing, disregarding the distractions that could be around you and offer this thought to Him. Let me say it and then maybe offer it, some of you, as a prayer to Him. Maybe it's not what's happening around you. The problems you can't solve, the people you can't control, the expectations that you can't meet. Maybe it's not what's happening Maybe it's what happened. A baby was born. A Savior came. And it could be your secret. Maybe a few know. But you're battling with the darkness. By the way, in 2018, it confounds me that so many of us still have a stigma and a shame with some of the things that we battle. We are to be followers of one who is light. And the thing that we think would just kill us and make us die could be the thing that could bring us healing. The walking in the wondrous light. And still in the spirit of prayer, I want to say to us, maybe to you, that as God shines a light on you today, maybe the problem you can't solve, maybe you're part of that problem. Whether you create it or not, you're part of the problem. And that person that you can't control, guess what? You are the person that you can't control. And maybe for some of you, listen parents, listen husbands and wives, listen people. Maybe you are the one that has created expectations that other people cannot meet. 
Maybe you need the light of grace in your home. The light of grace in your friendship. The room to breathe and say, God is love. Well, this is it with this, with that, with this. But God is love. God is light. Hear me again, church. Here's what happened. In him is life. And this life is the light of all the world. And this light shines in the darkness. And my favorite part, and the darkness has not overtaken it. And it will not. Nothing can put the light out. The light will overcome the darkness. Jesus, help us now. Lord, we're in a moment going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to go. And in some ways, the singing and the praying we say was the most holy part. It, it certainly is important. But in our going is when so much happens or doesn't happen. God, I want to stand in front of hundreds of people today in this very moment with this opportunity and thank you for bringing light into my darkness, like my own darkness. And at times when the the dark seems to get the best of me, there is light in you. And God, I thank you. There are other testimonies. There are testimonies more powerful than mine here in this place. Be blessed in this time. Lord, this altar is open. I pray for people to come, to kneel before you, to seek you in the light, the wondrous light that you give. Or to come as we pray for people. In Jesus we pray.